Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. But if you have your notebook, we're going to talk about loveology today. Loveology. What's our theology of love? Where do we look for answers when it comes to love, dating, and relationships? And maybe you heard the word dating, you heard the word single, and you're married in this place, or you've been married for quite a few years. You're like, okay, this is a service where I get to check out. I promise you, we're going to touch on every single subject. So stay with me, because as you know, even though you're married, you don't stop dating. And, uh, and I think a lot of things today is going to challenge us. And I just pray that we could just end this relationship series on the right note. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for, God, just your amazing, amazing hand upon our church as we are growing. We're seeing new families, new people come to Christ. And we just thank you, Jesus, because we know um, it's nothing that we do. God, we play a small part. We know it's the hand of God that makes things grow. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, your favor. And God, I just want to pray specifically for anybody here for the first time. I know we have new family members and new people at our church. And I just pray that they would feel loved. They would feel welcomed. But most importantly, they would have an encounter with you today, Jesus. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you so much, Erica. She's one of our amazing youth leaders on the keys. She's awesome. And uh, she's great. Well, real quick, I I think this is kind of a broad statement, but I I really believe that all of us are born romantics. Like I think we have romance in our DNA. It's embedded in our DNA. There's nothing like being engaged in an awesome rom-com movie or reading a a love novel or watching a Disney movie that has the greatest fairy tale ending of all time. There's something that draws us to that. We're, We're just enticed by a good love story. Like, come on, let's be honest. Some of you are watching Little Mermaid and we're relating with a mermaid for a little bit. And, uh, even though you are, you are a human being. And, or the, the reason why The Bachelor is one of the greatest watched shows, so I hear. And uh, I have a love relationship, love-hate relationship with The Bachelor. My wife watches The Bachelor, and I'm one of the husbands where like, I don't watch it, but I watch it. <laughs> and what I mean is like, it'll be on and she'll be watching in the living room and then I'll, I'll come in and I'll be like, why are you watching that stupid show? It's so dramatic, it's so, it's ridiculous. And then the next day I'm like, so what happened to Justin? Is Justin still around? And like, I'm that type of husband. We're like, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, th- but there's something in all of us that wants to be drawn to a romance, a fairy tale love story. I still remember this, and maybe you do too. When Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were getting married, the royal wedding. And it's like, look, I'm not into British politics or the monarchy. The most I care about British things is Harry Potter, and that's about it. But I know that when somebody in the royal family is getting married, it's a big deal. So much so, I mean, I didn't realize it was this big of a deal because it's estimated that 1.9 billion people tuned in to watch this couple say their I do's. (laughs) That's insane. That means one out of seven human beings watched that. That means about like 40 of us were watching this thing like when it happened. It's one of the most televised events in history, more than the World Cup, more than the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl's not even close to how many people were watching this marriage or this wedding day happen. Just in America alone, it was 29 million Americans watch these British people say, I love you. And it's crazy because if you were watching in America, that means you had to wake up at 6 a.m. to watch this wedding. 
And if we could be honest, some of <laughs> Priscilla was watching it for sure. And uh, she was being inspired. One day, she'll find her Prince Harry. And but he has to love Jesus. He has to love Jesus, Priscilla. But here's the thing. Some of us, it, it's hard for us to pray at 6 a.m., but we were watching at, we were watching the world wedding at 6 a.m., ready to go. And uh, it's just one of those things where it's, it's, it's almost like you ask the question, what would draw so many people to watch this one event? Maybe it's idealism. Maybe it's because we all grew up watching Disney movies or Hallmark movies. Or maybe it's a dormant gene in all of us that scientists are trying to figure out that, that causes this to happen. Or maybe it's all of the above. But, but here's what I, I want to ask, and here's what I want us to talk about when it comes to our hopes of finding the perfect marriage, the fairy tale romance, is what happens when the fantasy we've hoped for doesn't become the reality that we're living in? And, and that's, a, that's kind of a, a reality check even for myself, because it's like we all realize whether we're married or not, or in a relationship that that's, has many years on it, it's like we all realize pretty quickly that not everybody is a prince. Not everybody's a princess. They leave dishes in the sink and they, they don't do the right things when it comes to laundry. Like we know that nobody's perfect. And what happens when the honeymoon phase is over? When the hype of starting a new relationship is gone? And when there's months and there's years and there's, there's this time put into our relationships, what happens? How do we move forward? Maybe we brought in baggage to our marriage because how we were living pre our marriage time, how we were dating people, the things that we brought in and we're like, man, I can't fix this. I'm struggling. I have, there's tension in my marriage right now. My marriage is falling apart. It's not what I dreamed of. It's not what I hoped for. It's not what I prayed for. How do we live in that tension when things start to fade away? Because here's the thing, culture will give us a dogmatic view of what a marriage or relationship should or shouldn't look like. Like you can find an answer, you can find a resource in the world, in culture, but I hope we know that's going to always be the incorrect view. And so when it comes to our relationships, real love, the question we have to answer, we have to be okay with, we have to know that we, we can answer this strongly is, do we know what romantic relationships should be like when seen through the eyes of God? In other words, what's our loveology? What's our theology of love? Where do we learn about how to love, how to date, how to be married, how to have a marriage that is withstanding, that can stand the test of time? Where do we go when we have questions about love? Because it's a long walk, especially if you're dating, it's a long walk from hello to I do. And if you don't have the correct picture of what a godly relationship, what a godly marriage, what the Bible says about our love life, our future could be very bleak. Or we're not going to start our, our marriage on the right foot. And, and one of the problems that I see when it comes being a youth pastor for a long time, you see all types of red flags when it comes to kids dating and when it comes to uh, just, like, just different things happening when it comes to relationships of leaders or, or kids. And one of the, the red flags that I see, especially in marriages that, that kind of start off rocky, is that, that you play like you practice. You play like you practice. And, and this saying... It works in every area of our lives, but when it comes to relationships and love, we flip it. Like we all know it's good, it's a good practice to save money, 
to be well, to be good stewards of our finances, to save money, to invest in the right things, to make sure we could provide for our children, to provide for our wife, our, our families. We want to have a good practice. We don't overspend. We want to have a good practice. So when opportunities come, a vacation or whatever the case may be, we can be okay. We can be frugal. We can make things happen. Or whether you're an athlete and you need to practice in order to make sure during game time, you are ready to go. It's easy to you. You have confidence. You watch film. You, you hit the weight room. But whenever it comes to our relationships, we have it backwards. And, and what happens is if you practice dating, if you practice relationships a certain way, when it comes to playing in your marriage, there's going to be things that you're going to have to fix and you might not start your marriage off on a great start. Because we've told a whole generation growing up that, that hey, you are going to be tied down one day. Go have fun before that happens. And what a dangerous thing to tell our young people. What a dangerous thing to believe. Maybe you grew up hearing that because what happens is, yes, you are going to be tied down one day, but just because you're married doesn't mean you become untied because you're going to still have things that are suppressing you, things that are causing you to be a prisoner in your own marriage, things that were not addressed, things that you thought were part of helping your marriage now are hindering it. You practice or you play like you practice. And that's why we're going to be careful of the decisions that we make even in our marriages, even while we're dating, because it can affect so much. I don't want to have a marriage that's just good for five years. I want to have a marriage that's 10, 15 years down the road, a relationship. I want to make sure it's withstanding. So I don't want to make sure I'm careful with the decisions that I make. And that's why I want to look at the song in the Bible that has to do a lot about love. The Song of Solomon, yes, it is written by Solomon. Solomon is King David's son. King David, he was an incredible king, an incredible man of God. But we all know the story. He had a, a one-night stand with a, name, a woman named Bathsheba. And, and Solomon is the offspring of that relationship. But God in his goodness and his sovereignty uses that mess up situation to allow Solomon to arise to be an incredible king, to be the wisest man in the world. This is a beautiful story of grace. But here's Solomon, he's king, and um, he's in love with this woman. And he writes, the, like there's theologians that say he wrote about a thousand and five songs. But this song, the Song of Solomon, is like the greatest hits. It's the best of the best. Like legit, that's why it's here. It's, it's the greatest of his songs. And like I said earlier, most of the book is about sex and what the Bible has to say about sex and how to make sure that when you are married, you can have a thriving sex life. And so if you want to spice it up tonight, read that together with your wife and husband. I promise you it'll work. Chapter one, it'll be great. But a great deal of it has to do with relationships because what you see in the Song of Solomon is the genesis of somebody pursuing the opposite sex and what happens when they finish dating and get to marriage. And so you see this cycle of what it's like in, the, in a godly manner to date and then to get married. And I want to look at this and real quick, I want to break some more stuff down. In the book, there's, there's three characters in these songs. You have the lover, that's Solomon. You have the beloved, it's the Shulamite woman. And no, Shulamite is not a group of people that wish Don Shula was still the Dolphins coach. That is like another, it's a whole different, yeah, don't get excited. He's, this woman is, is a shepherdess, and, but she's a beautiful shepherdess that catches the eye of Solomon and he pursues her. So you have lover is Solomon, beloved is a Shulamite woman, and then there's friends. So whenever you see daughter of Jerusalem, daughters of Jerusalem, that is the friend group of the Shulamite woman. And so you have these three characters in these songs that are talking to each other and teaching us hallmarks of a healthy relationship. And by relationship, I mean love, romance, and sex before marriage. 
And so what I want to do is I want to go around the Song of Solomon, look at a couple chapters, a couple verses, and I want to see what four marks of a healthy relationship looks like. Again, if you are married, there are things in here that I'm going to share that are still principles that we can all take together, especially when it comes to the first point. And the first point is the chase. The chase is the first hallmark of a healthy relationship. I want to go to Song of Solomon chapter 2 verses 8 through 14 and you're going to see Solomon pursuing the woman it says this in verse 8 the voice of my beloved behold he comes leaping over the mountains bounding over the hills my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag behold he stands behind our wall gazing through the windows looking through the lattice my beloved speaks and says to me this is Solomon speaking now to the woman arise my love my beautiful one and come away for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over, and God's springtime has come. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in a blossom, for they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, let your vo for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. My boy Solomon is got some game. Like, let's call this girl a dove. Like, have you ever called a girl a dove before? It's beautiful. And uh, it's just, it's just showing us the chase. Solomon is pursuing this woman. It's springtime, and springtime for thousands of years signifies the time of love. It's, it's new life sprouting. It's new trees growing, new flowers growing, and it's the opening kind of a landscape of where our story begins. He's wooing this woman. He's calling her to come away, and, and here's what we need to know about the chase. That's the man's job. It's the man's job. It's the man's job to chase, to pursue, to draw the woman into a relationship. But now, we, we know this about relationships. Relationships are two-way streets. But it's the man's job to instigate and to activate. In other words, it's the man's job to lead the way in the relationship. In Genesis 2, since the beginning of time, this was God's design. Men are called to lead. It's Adam who is first on the ground in Eden. It's Adam who sings over his wife. It's Adam who calls her woman. It's the man who will leave his father and mother, not the woman. So scripture tells us. And first Timothy, Paul makes a comment about how Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now that doesn't mean women are less than. What he's saying here is that men carry a responsibility to lead the dating relationship, the marriage, the family. It is our responsibility, men, to lead. And the question I want to ask us as we talk about this is like, do you feel the weight of that responsibility? Because there is a weight to it. That's why it's given to men. It, it, it's, God has chosen men, fathers, husbands, to lead their families that could then affect society, that we can affect our neighborhoods, our workplaces, that it all starts with a strong man and all that overflows into everything that we do. I really believe that America would be a better place if more men understood the weight of this responsibility. And, and we gotta be careful. And before, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'll, I'll share an example of, of me failing in this area. For me, I didn't feel the weight of this responsibility until recently. And what I mean is, as a pastor, a lot of my work here is throughout the week, there's, we have connect groups, we have meetings with our youth leaders, um, we have prayer and worship nights. That's, as a staff, we are a part of all these things, planning it, we're in the, we're in the thick of all that stuff, and it could be time-consuming, but it all, you also start to realize, this is what I realized, that I was pouring out more 
to youth leaders and people of our church, which is part of, this is my calling, but my wife never got the benefits of any of that stuff. And so I was like, man, you know what? I, I, this, is, this needs to be fixed. As, as I have a daughter and, and as I want to grow our family, I want to make sure that our home is a place where my family gets the best of me. And so what I wanted to do was, one of the practical things I did was, okay, Monday nights, me and my wife have a Bible study. We have a Bible study. We're going through the book of Mark and we do a couple chapters and Danny's more holy. She wants to keep on reading. I'm like, okay, that was one chapter. My brain hurts. Like, and, and it's helped us because now we, as a husband and wife, I am leading my family in the way of biblical study and the way of prayer. I want to make sure that, that, that my family, that my wife gets the best of me because God has called me to lead. He's called me to make sure that I'm the one respond. It falls on me. Not to say that the wife and my kids, like my wife compliments that. She helps. She's my helper. She's an incredible leader. It doesn't make her less than. But she knows, and I know, that weight falls on me, and I want to make sure I steward that well. And leading doesn't mean bossing around, doesn't mean taking charge, dominating or intimidating or forcing things. That's not leading. Leading is taking responsibility, caring for, listening to, loving, protecting, serving. And if you're dating, risking. Risking. And we got to risk. This is both guys and girls, but mostly for the guys. I just feel like every time, every time you take a step out there to date somebody, you might get rejected. It just might happen. It's a part of life. Just like applying to a new job, applying for whatever, or, or going to a school that you really are praying for, you might get rejected. It doesn't mean that it's final. God might be giving you a detour, but rejection is a part of the dating scene, a part of the dating world. It's a part of life. And yes, it's hard, and it's not something we are we gravitate towards or something we, we hope for, but it is a part of it. And it's a vital part of becoming a man and woman of God. Learning to fail and fail well. Failing the right way. And if we are willing to take risks, forget dating, it's just in our overall life, we'll never grow beyond who we are now. And here's what we have to realize. As followers of Jesus, male and female, we are called to live by faith. Listen to me, we live in a world where the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus is no longer in the tomb because he defeated death and the grave. That means that when you step out in faith, even if you fail, Jesus will lift you back up. Even if you fail in your marriage, even if you fail in a relationship, even if you sin, God will give you grace. He won't let you stay there, but you get back up and you keep on going. You don't feel sorry for yourself because you got rejected, because you failed, because you messed up. No, you keep on going. The tomb is empty. God is for you. He's not against you. If he can raise Jesus from the grave, he can raise anything that is dead in your life. That's why we live by faith, whether it's our relationships or anywhere in our life. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 24. For the righteous falls seven times, but rises again. I don't know what your marriage history looks like. I don't know what it looks like right now. I don't know what your dating average is or what, what is going on, but I know that no matter how many times you fail, you can rise again. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, as long as you are in line with scripture, you have grace from Jesus Christ to keep on going. And so maybe you feel like you're failing right now. Get back up, Keep fight for your family, fight for your marriage. God is with you, don't give up because God hasn't given up on you. Real love is believing that Jesus loves us despite whatever it is that we do. 
I'm not saying that gives us freedom to sin, but we are free from that sin to make sure that we continue on the path towards being more like Jesus. So let's, let's, even if we fail, let's get back up again. Second hallmark of a relationship, a healthy relationship is the line. And the line is something that we can all talk about when it's dating. This is something that I was asking my youth pastor when I was 17, trying to, trying to ask about dating and what God says about dating. And look at uh, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. This is a woman speaking. She says, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. I adjure you. I tell you, oh, daughters of Jerusalem. There's the, that's the phrase for friends. She's like, hey, I tell you, friends, listen up, friends. By the gazelles and the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The Shulamite woman is a virgin, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't have sexual desire for Solomon. I mean, she's like ready to go. And, and that's, that's okay because God gives us sexual desire. That's a good thing. That's why God gave us a way to express that through marriage. But if you're not married... How does, how does that desire, how do we keep it in check? How do we still honor God with our sexual desire, with, with staying pure, with making sure we're living holy before God? Okay, what's off limits? What, what can I can't do or not do? And here's the question isn't, or ever is, how far can we go? The question needs to be, when can we start? And you can't start till you're married. And so what happens is, while we're waiting for marriage, we, we ask what the line is. Where's the line that I can't cross? Or how close can I get to the line where it's like, God, I know, I feel, I know God says in the word that you can't have sex before marriage, but he doesn't say you can't do other things. And it's like, that's asking the line. That's like, how far can we go? And, and her advice, what she's saying here, that, that phrasing, don't, don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She's saying this, don't wake up the sexual part of your relationship until you can follow it all the way through. That means don't go anywhere near the line until your wedding day. <laughs> and then you can forget the line. Have fun. Go crazy. Like, that's what she's saying. She's like, hey, friends, daughters of Jerusalem, like, don't, don't keep this in check. Don't pass the line. Don't ruin the thing that God wants to provide for you in your life. And nothing does more to sabotage a relationship than sex before marriage. And I, I, I'm not here to step on toes. I'm not here to put anybody in an uncomfortable position. This is what the Bible says, and I, and I really believe, this is why we did the Real Love series. Because the person you choose to date or choose to marry is one of the most massive decisions you can ever make in your life. Massive. Especially if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. Because it, it influences everything that you do. Whether you go after Jesus 100% or whether you just, again, cruise by and just be, like, who you marry is, it's it's quintessential. And, and there's three reasons why sex before marriage is, is such a danger to your future marriage and to your relationship right now. First thing, it's backwards. It's opposite of God's plan. And whenever you go opposite of God's plan, things are going to go wrong. It's just, it's, you can see there's so many examples of this, but whenever you go opposite of God's plan, things will go awry. Second thing, it's blinding. And this one we don't talk about enough, but you have to understand, sex obscures your vision towards people. When you have sex, you aren't able to accurately see the person you're dating. 
I'll give you an example. Maybe you have a friend and you always wondered why they dated this certain guy or this certain girl, even though you knew and everybody else knew this was a toxic relationship, that this was not a good thing. You're like, man, I, 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 my friend is, is making a bad choice. Like everybody else around them can see it except them. The reason why is that probably nine times out of 10, they're having sex. And that sex before marriage, it obscures. They don't no longer see them being in a bad relationship. It's that now because it's so physical and that's what the relationship's been built on. That's the only thing that sustains it. And so it's hard to break free when that's all that you've seen. And so we got to be careful that we don't let sex obscure our vision. Number three, it's a bad foundation. You, you can't build a relationship just on sex alone. Like for example, e even if you married the person that you were ha that you were like fooling around with before marriage, like at some point, you're gonna be like, the sex is great, but I want a father to my child. I want a mother to my child. I want someone that prays for me. I want a friend to talk to. I want more out of this relationship than what has been given to me. And so again, it just becomes a thing where like, sex is a part of what God has designed for our marriage, and it's a good thing. It's 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 almost worship unto Him. It's a good it's it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And at some point, that stuff's going to go away. It's going to fade. And, and we need to make sure that we have a relationship built on prayer, on Bible study, on genuine relationship. Like, I, I generally like talking to this person. And, and there's other aspects to the relationship. And so we got to be careful because it's bad foundation. So what are three things you can do to bless your future marriage? I shared this with our, our young people on Friday night. And it's this. It's limit your time, limit your talk, and limit your touch. Limit your time. Like, you don't need to be alone all the time. Like, you are attracted to this person. And if you're a teenager or if you're a young adult, like, your hormones are through the roof. And setting yourself up to be alone all the time is setting yourself up to be a, it's to fail. It's to put yourself in a position that you and your own strength cannot handle. So limit your time. It's okay to have the right feelings, right? You have that sexual desire, but make sure it's not at the wrong time. And so, so limit your time, have friends, get in a connect group that you can hang out with on the weekends. Like get, get your, the person that you're dating, get them around your family, get them around the people that you, if you really care about this person, get them around community, be around community. It'll be a blessing to your life. Limit your talk. <laughs> like if a guy is telling you he loves you after one week, my guy, chill out, bro. You had one coffee. <laughs> You had one latte with oat milk and like, like limit your, like be careful what you say, right? Like we got to be careful that we are not, we are not saying things that we cannot back up yet. And that's a, and that's a, it means you love that person. Guys and girls, be careful what you say. And just limit your talk. You don't have to. You don't have to make promises you can't keep. You don't have to say like you are dating. You are courting each other. Time will be a good thing for every single person. Be careful what you say, and then limit your touches. You know, just you know, just limit your touch. Just be, just be careful. High five. I don't know. I just. I'm just kidding. But real quick, and I want to share just for the parents like. Don't limit or don't downplay your kids' feelings. Like your kids are gonna think they're in love. Your kids are gonna think that they found the one. You, like, you know how it is, we were there too. Don't limit that, don't downplay that, don't berate them for that. But this is a good moment to pastor them. To pastor them through this. You have a teenager that 
likes this girl, likes this guy. And, you know, maybe you have certain rules in your house when you can date, when you can't date. That's a great thing. I'm just saying, like, help them through that. Help them to make sure they don't make a decision that can harm their future marriage or their, like dads, show your daughters what it's like to go on a good date, to have somebody open the door for them, to, to pay for their meals. Like, please, Jesus, like, I heard some stories of some guys in our church asking if they could split the bill. And I was like, Lord, take us now, take us now. Just come back already. Just come, just come back. We're ready. We're ready, God. We're ready for, we're ready to go to heaven. And, um, but parents, it, we're so, it's so vital. Like, I, I think about that now that I have a daughter and I'm like, like, you know, we have amazing fathers in our church. I have an, I have an amazing father that I learned from. Like guys, girls, if you're dating, get around some good marriages, get around some good people and learn from them. Be a sponge. And um, again, just let's make sure that we limit our time, our talk and our touch. And third thing is the friends. It's a third hallmark of, of a healthy relationship. You have friends, you have friends around you that can help you. Uh, Song of Solomon 1.4 says this. It says, we will exalt you and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. These are the friends telling Solomon and the Shulamite woman like, hey, we are all for this relationship. We are gonna, we're gonna extol you. We're gonna rejoice. Like we, like we are here for you guys. We love this relationship. We are for it. And then I want us to look at chapter five, verse nine. It says this. It says, what is your beloved more than the beloved? Another beloved. This is the friend, the girls talking to the Shulamite woman because Solomon is a king and he's always gone. And they're just kind of encouraging you like, hey, you have a good guy. What is your beloved more than another beloved? Oh, most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure to us? It's like, hey, Solomon is a good guy. This is a good relationship. He's going to take care of you. This, we, we, we are for this. Don't stress. We're here for you. There are people in your life that need to speak into your relationship, that they have a voice, that you're, that you're a couple that isn't alone. Like we live in what's hands down, the most hyper individualistic society in the world. I don't think that's a, a shock to anybody. And when it comes to dating, there's no way that you can date or I believe have a healthy marriage in isolation. You just can't, you just can't do things alone. You can't be just by yourselves. I'm not saying that you need time away, have time away, but, but being where you have nobody around you to speak life into your, your relationship, speak life into your marriage, the sad place to be. I think you should be a part of a community. And I just see this as a youth pastor. I know I keep referring to it, but it's, it's just so prevalent in my life that we have so many kids that will get in relationships and the biggest red flag is that they disappear. They just are gone. <laughs> They were in the front row praising Jesus and they met a girl and they're gone. And why? It's because they don't want the community around them to speak into what they are, they are feeling is not already okay. And there's a lust to it. There's a physical aspect to it. And, and you just see it all the time. And I would just encourage you, like just, you gotta be, you gotta have people around you that are honest with you in the good and the bad that will help you make wise decisions and mistakes you're gonna make that they can walk with you with grace. I would just encourage you, use family as a safeguard. Like use your family as a safeguard. I know sometimes we have family members that are crazy. Like have discernment, maybe don't talk to everybody in your family, but, but who do you have that can check your phone, making sure you're not doing anything late at night, like making sure you're okay. To, not because they wanna bombard you, but they wanna help you that when you have a marriage, you can start off on the right foot. Use your family as a safeguard. So the question I would ask is, who are your friends in, in your community? Who are the people you will know and trust that you've invited to speak into your relationship? And are you listening? And are you listening? 
Then the fourth and final hallmark of a healthy relationship is the journey to the day. And I want to go to Song of Solomon chapter 3, verses 6 to 11. This is Solomon arriving for his wedding day. And it says this, What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all that fragrance, powders of a merchant? Behold, it is a litter of Solomon. Around it are a mighty 60 men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts in war, each with the sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its, its back of gold, its seat of purple. This sounds like a Miami wedding. Very expensive. Very, very expensive. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look up king, upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Here we finally see the journey of dating becoming a journey to marriage. And what you have to know is like a healthy relationship has motion, has inertia. It's, it's, it's going somewhere. And I really believe that all healthy relationships are either moving towards or away from marriage. There's no middle ground. If you're in the middle ground, you're going away from marriage. And, and we got to be careful because, and this, what I'm going to share is my opinion. Okay. This is my opinion. I think that dating just to date is stupid. And hear me, I'm not saying that I didn't do that. I can say that it's stupid because I was stupid and I did a lot of stupid things. Um, but dating to date is, is, is a waste of your time and it's a waste of your heart. And, and what I mean is, I'm not saying that when you go on a coffee date, that that person that you're having a coffee with is the, is the one. It's like, it's just a coffee, that's fine. You can have conversation and learn as you go. But I think it's a mindset that you should have when it's like, I'm not gonna waste my time on just anybody. I'm not gonna just give my heart to any single person. So if this person that I'm talking to that I like, can I marry them? Because it'll dictate whether I go forward or not, or whether I risk or not, or whether I do any decision going forward. And so let me encourage you, like, for, for me and my example, like, again, before Danny, my wife now, like, I, I, I broke, I was that, I did a lot of stupid things and I hurt a lot of people because I was immature and, and I was, and I didn't have this mindset, but it was the moment that I told God, I literally made a, a, a almost like a covenant with God. I was like, God, I am, I'm not going to date anymore. And the next person that I date, I'm going to marry. And the moment that happened about a year from that commitment, I walked into an Urban Outfitters and found my wife. And, and, and it's not because, it, it's just because I took what I was like, I was already 26, Danny was in, her, in his 27. We were at a stage where like, man, we don't want to play games anymore. And so I, I was just like, I'm just encouraging you. Don't just date to date. Don't waste your time, don't waste your heart. Proverbs 24, 27 says this, put your outdoor work in order, get your fields ready. After that, build your house. And what the verse is saying is be, become the right person. Become the right person that you would want to date, that you would see in yourself. You're saying, man, I want to I want to make sure I'm the right person for this girl, for this guy, and I want to make sure I'm ready for this relationship. Last thing, and I'll finish with this. The key to building a great marriage is living a God-first life. You put God first in everything. You, you, you will not lose. You will not, you will not experience curses or, or neg like, like, yes, life is hard. You're going to experience bad timing and bad things, but you put God first. It'll bless your marriage. 
It'll bless your family. It'll bless your dating life. It'll bless your sex life. Put God first in your marriage and in everything that you do. And maybe you're here today and, and you're hearing this and you're like, man, I wish I would have known this 20, 10, five years ago. It's like, I want to share a verse with you to give you some hope here today. It's, it's found in 1 Peter. We're going to put it up on the screen. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Meaning whatever sin you have committed, whatever fault that you have made towards somebody else, whatever somebody has unforgiven this towards you about, it's okay because love, the love of Jesus Christ that sacrificed himself on the cross covers a multitude of sins. Your sins before the eyes of God are no longer held against you. Whether it's in your marriage or your relationship, love, 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 real love covers the multitude of sins. You can have hope because God loves you no matter what. Why don't we stand up to our feet and just in a, in a moment of encouragement, I just want to wrap this up and pray for a group of people. As we wrap up real love, and I know we talked about dating and we talked about certain topics, but maybe you're here today and you need that love that covers a multitude of sins to enter your life. Maybe you feel like you married, your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you feel like your dating life is, is a mess. Maybe you feel like things are just not going the way that you expected. The fairy tale that you prayed about, the fairy tale that you dreamed about is no longer a reality. Can I tell you that love covers a multitude of sins? Real love, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who we worship in this place, left heaven and came down to earth to save us from our sins. He forgave us, his forgiveness. And maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart towards your spouse, towards somebody in your life that has hurt you in your relationship. It's that love that Jesus gave as an example that we apply in our own lives that can cover a multitude of sins. You see, we were born into sin. All of us, every single one of us are born into sin. And I just wonder if you know that there's nothing that you can do to remove that sin. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are, doesn't matter how amazing you are and all those great things, how much you get to charity, sin cannot be removed by natural means. It took Jesus leaving the comfort of heaven, being born as a baby, grew up to being a man, giving his life. He was fully human, fully God. He was perfect. He didn't make mistakes. He did no wrong, but yet he chose to remove our life from that cross and put himself up there. Jesus on that cross, hands nailed, feet nailed, crown of thorns on his head, abandoned by his friends, abandoned by his family, beaten, humiliated. The Bible says that Jesus was beaten so badly he was unrecognizable. On that cross, he was thinking about you and me. The joy set before him. He knew that one day there was gonna be an opportunity for you to accept what Jesus did on the cross, that your sin will be removed, that you have a brand new beginning, a brand new life, despite any mistakes that you have made. On that cross, he dies. Jesus takes his last breath. They get the body of Jesus. They put him in a tomb. But we know how the story goes. After three days, Jesus is no longer in that tomb. They, his, his friends, his family go in the tomb. They try to look inside. He's gone. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And we believe that Jesus Christ is alive today. He's speaking. He's moving. He's helping. He's healing. He's teaching. He's, he's here. I want to invite you, if, if you've never made a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to, to have removal of your sins, to have a brand new beginning that, that when you die, you know one day you're going to step foot into heaven. 
but also while you're on earth, you could put God first and experience blessing over your life. I wanna give you the opportunity. I know we're talking about dating and love, but can I tell you that the greatest act of love is what Jesus did on the cross for us. And you can, you can receive real love today. With every eye closed, every head bowed, this is a moment of privacy and opportunity just to, to be between you and Jesus. If that's you, you're saying, Phil, that's me. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna get right with God. I've been trying to do things my own way. I haven't been putting God first. I have sin in my life that I want removed. Today is your day. With nobody looking around, nobody judging you, what I'm gonna ask you to do, if that's you, you wanna accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and experience real love, forgiveness of your sins. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and you can put it right back down. I just wanna see what I'm praying for. Just pray with you and, and celebrate you in a moment. I'm not gonna put a mic in your face. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna see what I'm praying for. So on the count of three, you wanna accept the love of Jesus. On the count of three, you lift up your hands. One, two, three, you lift up your hands. God bless you, man. I see you. God bless you. God bless you, man. God bless you. 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 God bless you guys. Amazing. You can put your hands down. Amazing. We're going to celebrate you here in a moment, but I want to pray with you. And this prayer we do every single Sunday. We want to provide this prayer, make it an easy one for you. But this is you talking to Jesus. This is you committing to a new way of life. And so to repeat after me, prayer church, let's say this with our new brothers and sisters. It goes like this, Lord Jesus, I open up my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I thank you and I love you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together. So many hands went up. Yeah. So many hands went up, and, and really, it's, it's the best part of our service. We, we, we love you. We celebrate you. It's, it's the greatest decision of your entire life. You, you put God first. You can never come in last. Like, God is going to bless you. But the biggest thing you have in your life, you have forgiveness of your sins. You have a brand new name, a brand new identity. And you also have brand new questions. And that's okay. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you probably like, okay, what's my next step? What do I do? And as a church, we want to come alongside you and help you find your way in a relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that we have is a free gift we just want to give you. And outside, we have a Connect tent, a Connect team, nicest, sweetest people ever. They just want to give you this gift. It is free, has a Bible, free coffee voucher. We just want to celebrate you. Today's a big day, and make sure you get this free gift. We're not going to ask you for $5 down the road or nothing like that. It is free, 99. Take that with you. But church, let's put our hands together one more time. For all those hands that went up. That you enjoyed this series real love we pray that it has blessed your marriage it has blessed your dating life and it has blessed your relationship with jesus as you know we got four services next sunday and so it's gonna be an awesome awesome sunday but here we're gonna celebrate with one more song so i'm gonna pray for your week lord jesus we thank you we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your kindness we thank you for your word that helps us bless us this week help us to invite friends to be an example in our workplace we love you we thank you and let me pray amen God bless you, church. We'll see you outside.